Welcome to another edition of the Omaha Bar Association Bar Talk podcast. This is an interview done by Judge Stephanie Hansen, president of the Omaha Bar Association in 2021 and 2022, with past Omaha Bar Association and State Bar President Woody Bradford. This was recorded in March of 2022. Well, where you have this great opportunity to speak with you, so if you want to Maybe introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your life growing up. Oh, uh, well, I'm Woody Bradford. I was ma- uh, named Dana C. Bradford III. Uh, my father was in the lumber business, and uh, he, of course, was Dana C. Bradford Jr., and so they've had to nick- nickname me. So they nicknamed me Woody uh, for reasons that are, I think have been basically undisclosed. Nothing about the lumber business? Nothing with the lumber business. Actually, I think it was my father was a big fan of big band big band music. And I think he named me after Woody Herman, actually, who was a clarinet player and had a band of his own in the 40s. I, have, uh, I had uh, siblings, two sisters and two brothers, uh, all younger. I was the oldest. And uh, the, my, my sisters passed, but did my two brothers and sister are alive. My mom and dad are dead, but uh, went to uh, grade school uh, at Harrison Grade School and went to Dundee Grade School and Benson High School. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're born and raised in Omaha. I was. Yes, I am born and raised, right. So what inspired you to go to law school and become a lawyer? Is that something you always wanted to do, or is that some inspiration that came later? No, as a matter of fact, uh, I graduated from college without knowing what I wanted to do at all. So I, I, I had an, a, a, brief, a brief period in the, the Marine Corps. Uh, well, I can go into the story. I joined the OCS, which was a three-year commitment. I got to Quantico, Virginia during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, which is in 1962. And so they put us through a rapid uh, uh, training mechanism, and at the end of the end of it, uh, uh, you had to fit your physical. So I had my physical, and uh, I had a, a double hernia. So the Navy surgeon looked at me and said, "Well, uh, I, or I guess I said to him, what do I what do I do?'" And he said, well, "You got two choices. We'll fix you up, you know, take care of you, and you'll be ready to go in six weeks, or you're out." And I said, you know, I think I'm going to do the out. And I had three uh, years of my life back. And so I, I went back to my college and took a, uh, what you'd call, I guess, a, an examination to determine what my, what maybe what I was um, not geared to do, but could do maybe. So they said, uh, you're, uh, you can be in, in the newspaper business, you can be a troubleshooter, uh, and maybe you can go to law school. So I went into the newspaper business. I went to the Council Bluffs and on Perel, and I trotted down there. I remember with my my work that I I, I was I was not a bad writer in college, so I had work that I took could, I could show somebody, and the, the, uh, I took it to Lou Gertis. I'll never forget. He was the city editor, and he read it. He says, "Well, I'll tell you, son." I think that uh, if you want to stay in the newspaper business, you got to go out and have some experience, and you're not, the World Herald cannot, is not about to hire you. So I uh, 
went across the river and uh, they hired me and I was there uh, for about a year. Tremendous experience in that small newspaper. I could go forever and tell stories about the Council Bluffs nonpareil. But, you know, then I decided, um, well, I, that I, I needed to, uh, I, I, fit, I was going to try law school. And I was also going to get married. So my father was not happy at all about this. First of all, that I was getting married because I couldn't afford to get married. And second of all, that I was going to law school. Uh, and uh, but we we struggled through. Uh, we got married, and we went to the day uh, we were married. We got in um, a little Falcon station wagon that I had acquired during the summer because I had to quit the nonpareil because they were paying me fifty seven dollars and fifty cents a week, gross. So the idea was that I had to get a job that would at least get me enough money to get to California. So I I went to. Hawkins Construction Company, and I dug ditches for, which really drove my father crazy, uh, and uh, got enough money to get a car and go to California. And I went to California because I'd never been to California. And uh, I, I, I applied to law school, two schools, university in, in California and two here, and uh, I played to UCLA and then the University of California at Berkeley, and the, I went to the University of California at Berkeley, and uh, you know that was the end of that story. And so, you came back to Omaha to practice, or did you practice did. at all? Okay. No. I came back to Omaha because by that time I had one child, or we had one child, and one on the way, and I just figured, you know, Omaha has always been a good place to raise children, and I'm. You know, I'll come back and see if I can get a job. So where did you start working? Um, I started working with Monsky, Gradinsky, Gooden, Cohen. Uh, the, the, the principals of that firm were uh, William Gradinsky, who was uh, uh, an elderly man even at that time, Harry B. Cohen, who was a former president of the Nebraska Bar. He was a tax lawyer. Bill Gradinsky was a pretty much an estate lawyer. Uh, and uh, Paul Good uh, was a former attorney general of the state. He won the famous Wyoming water rights case as an attorney general. Uh, so uh, Monsky had passed on. He, Henry Monsky was a famous Jewish lawyer who was FDR, a great friend of FDR, so he spent a lot of time in Washington. And, uh, and we had... And, the other guy, Alan Garfinkel, was, was an associate in the firm in that time, and Warren Zweibach was another associate. We, and Paul Fesserson joined us later. So it was the, that was the firm that I was with for about four or five years. So what were those first four or five years like? What, were, what was your learning curve? What kind of work did you do? They taught me how, how to um, be a lawyer, and, and particularly a business lawyer and a tax lawyer. And uh, so for most of that time, uh, I, I was involved with business and tax matters, estate planning. Um, we had, we represented Boys Town. Uh, so that, and we had a lot of large uh, retail clients, Nebraska Clothing, Brandeis, uh, were large clients of ours. 
and uh, and they had different different matters to handle. But what they allowed me was a freedom of choice to do what I other things that I might like to do. So I wasn't handicapped in that sense. It was sort of a free swinging kind of situation financially because uh, uh, they had a, 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 a fantastic, when I started, had, had an unbelievable way of billing their clients. They billed them once a year. Oh. They were, literally. And they and and they looked they looked down their dis, the disbursements and their various matters, and they did it in uh, January after the first of the year because they wanted to pay their taxes in April. So they billed it, got the bill out at the end of January, and their clients paid them by uh, the end of February, and they paid their taxes and split their whatever partner split at that time. And then they paid. Uh, I think I I went to work for six hundred and forty dollars a month and I had two children. So, you know, it's those days probably, uh, well, it's, they were amazing in that way. So, uh, but uh, they did allow me a lot of freedom to practice. And, uh, and I took uh, on a number of cases that were pro bono and a number of cases that were risky. For them, it was risky. That's what I always admired about them. Uh, I took a couple of cases that were, uh, one were suing the Omaha Public Schools uh, which was, um, mm, they didn't say anything, but their teeth clenched. You know, they were, the, the, law, the, the law firm was very, uh, very conservative about the law and the practice of the law. But I can remember um, I took on a case involving uh, a 17-year-old rapist. And he was, he was known in that time as the 32nd Avenue rapist. And I took on the case and... Uh, and we got the fame. The, the, the prosecutor on the other side was um, Frank Payne, who everybody will remember. That was around, just a wonderful guy. And he saw me as a kid. He looked at me and he said, "Oh, brother, what am I going to do with this guy?" He, he, you know. And he couldn't have been nicer to me because this, I, this was a major felony case, and I had just stepped in. I must have thought I, I walked on water or something. I don't know what it was, but I. My ego was, was, got the best of me, or my stupidity, frankly. So, so much so, though, that I got into it, and, I, and we had, they had seven women that were, had been raped by this 17-year-old boy. And they only charged him with one, which I had. And I had to keep the others out from testifying. That was because I was a goner if those women would come in. And there was a law that it, in place at the time that we found, but I say we because I'm sitting there one night, uh, sort of after six, and William Gradinsky comes in and asks me. Now, William Gradinsky is in his well into his 70s and maybe even his early 80s, and he says to me, what are you doing? And I tell him, well, he says, you know, you need some help, uh, and he, he and I stayed up, and we wrote the brief. And uh, uh, the judge, uh, uh, at that time, uh, uh, he he uh, sustained us. And the seven women, we, they didn't need any seven women either. Uh, uh, so they, they were not allowed to testify. But that was the kind of firm it was. 
and William Gradinsky hadn't been in a criminal courtroom or a trial courtroom as long as I was there. Maybe it was when he was a young man. But uh, he had his father was a rabbi who had a little uh, temple down on uh, where right across from what was then Tech High School, the Tech Building. It's still there. You have to. It's sort of got. You can tell it by its architecture. I don't know what it is now. It's probably boarded up and or used for something else. But uh, he was uh, really quite a fellow. So, would you consider uh, Grabowski? What am I saying his name right? Uh, Bill Grudinsky. Grudinsky, sorry, yeah. Grudinsky, to be one of your mentors and someone who shaped the lawyer that you became. Oh, the two two mentors I had there. One was uh, Harry B. Cohen, who was uh, just a phenomenal business lawyer, and Warren Zweibach, who was a young uh, charger at that time, and uh, allowed me to uh, learn the practice of trial law from Warren Zweibach, which was a uh, you had to lace your shoes very tight. Did he have the nickname Speedy? A Speedy was his brother, and his brother his brother is alive, and and his brother was a heart surgeon under DeBakey, and his father was Joe Zweibach sold Gerispeed, which was this product that you took, and it made you really active and strong, and he advertised all the all. <laughs> All the wrestling that was on an early television, you know, that's what they had. They had wrestling matches, and then there, there was Joe with Jerisby. And uh, but Warren's name was Horsey, and uh, they uh, Warren went to uh, Princeton and Columbia Law School, uh, and he was he was something. He was something, but he taught me a lot. You've made quite a career of being a, a general practice attorney. Right. We don't really see so much of that anymore. How, how did you How did you do that? How did you become the jack of all trades? I made my mind up uh, by basically uh, that that experience, which they allowed me to do. But I made my mind up that if a, if a judge like yourself has to get every case that comes her way. You know, and and often gets uh, you know not the same variety and not the same issues and not the same uh, uh, kinds of cases. And but has to know the rules of evidence. Has to know the things that w that make the system work. That I could do that. I think that's great. And that's really why I stayed in the general practice. Yeah. Keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? It does. Well, it does that, and it, it allows you a flexibility and, and it, it, where things are not the same. The only thing you've got to, that, that I find it difficult, and at the, but I, I'm not going to change, is that you, it, it, no matter what kind of day I planned, no matter how I was set up, it never worked. Never worked. Never worked out. No. So you're what we call a, a bar nut. So you are you have led the OBA, you've led the NSBA um, as president, served um, the OBA loyal lawyer referral service. I don't know why I can never say that word. And you know for about fifty years, and you still come to every event. You do ends of court. Um, what is it that this involvement means to you personally that you keep you keep coming and showing up and, and being a good leader after all these years? I think because I enjoy the company. And because there's always something to learn, but some of the, some of the best people I know are lawyers, 
and um, and I've always I've always had a um, uh, a desire to do to give back to the profession. Uh, I remember for a long time I was just struggling along with four kids and and uh, you know and then I I got to a point where I, I I said no I gotta I gotta start giving back and that's how I got started in 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 the bar activities. Bar activities were were terrific. I mean I can I can still think back on the Barrister Club shows that we did. I, I frankly I. I think they were pretty wild in comparison today, frankly. But we got we got we got by with a lot in those days, and uh, but it was a it, it, and it was a smaller bar in 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 many ways. Now it now we're you know we've got many 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 people in that are lawyers around us. Uh, but I always felt real comfortable with with the process. Uh, I've. I've enjoyed each any, each of the activities. I will say that I, I, I as bar from the bar presidents, when I my term was over, it was over. I didn't really try and get back and say look over anybody's shoulder unless I was called, and I was called a few times to come in on issues that involved access to justice. So I got I got involved in that, uh, and I still am, and. Uh, and so I, I do get involved in when called upon to, to eat, uh, try and deal with those problems, and um, and 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 I think I think that's made it uh, made it enjoyable also. Yeah. What advice do you have for um, younger, newer attorneys that are just starting out in their practice? What would you? What is your advice? Looking back on your career, what would you tell them to do? I wouldn't tell him to be a general practitioner. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, you, you would have to, you would want to do that. That's, that's more of a calling than, calling to be for a variety, because you want to have a variety of experiences. I would make sure that they wanted, that the, um, that they understood that the practice has changed dramatically since I started. And in, in one major way, if just look at the litigation, just look at the litigation side, and that is that if you want to go into litigation, you better go into regulations because litigation today is really involved with the, with the, the administrative processes more than anything else. And, and, and I, what I, I'll give you, I, uh, give, oh, I, there's so many examples Let's just take probate. Right now, I would say that that the litigation in probate cases is up, let's say from 10 years ago, up 500%. There is so much so much going on in that area that, you know, I, I, I've been involved in, issue, in issues in that area, and I'm amazed at the number of cases that have come up. And... I know I've t talked to defense counsel, and and they, they this is a whole brand new area for them. They, they I mean, by insurance defense counsel, they, they they never ten years ago they never saw this these kinds of cases. Well, it's regulations. The regulations have developed. Uh, elder law, I can is one there, but there there are other things. Business law, the regulations in business law, tax law. I've I've. Uh, Defended tax cases, um, 
I have a theory about that. I have a theory about the patent law cases I've tried too. Uh, so let's let's explain that. In, I would never go into a, to, to defend a patent law case uh, without a patent lawyer sitting next to me. I mean, I just wouldn't do it. But he he's never been in the courtroom, so the, it, it works. It's always worked out pretty well. Tax law is the same, although I think tax law is pretty so so regulated that you could you could you could take it as a trial lawyer. You can take the issue wouldn't be any different than, let's say, a personal injury case, right? Really, and I would know the tax lawyers are going to go crazy, but I don't think it's hard from a trial lawyer's point of view to take a case in almost any field, except for me, securities, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable there. But uh, I, 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 so I, I guess it, I, I think you want to specialize unless, unless you want to, you, you want to be a trial lawyer and then I think you can expand yourself in various areas of the law, and you can do it easily. So it's not, but there, there are darn few, you, you, you probably know yourself, there are darn few people practicing trial law every day where that's what they do. And, and, uh, and it, 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 you know, all the firms have trial lawyers and so forth, the larger firms and everything, but there's darn few of us. There were, there were a lot more of us before, but there are darn few of us around anymore. And there, there are trial lawyers that I know that get out of it quickly. They get in it, they are in it for maybe 20 years, and so long, because it's not easy. So based on all these trials and, and your practice, what do you think um, some of the most underappreciated skills are for lawyers? You know, we all know that you have to be able to read, you have to be able to write, you have to be able to communicate, but what are some of those underappreciated skills um, that lawyers have that you think a good lawyer, it's not just those core skills, but really some of these other um, underappreciated skills? I, I think you have to have passion. Um, I think most trial lawyers have a passion for what they're doing. Uh, and then you have to uh, you have to learn when not to uh, what what the limits are of your passions. You have to learn how to how to be able to control your control yourself in a courtroom, and you have to be able to do that in a way that uh, the court appreciates and and the uh, jury appreciates. There are Fewer jury trials right now, and more, as you probably know, more judge trials. And and so, and when you're trying a case to the court, um, you have to you have to be able to understand that where you are, and 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 it's entirely different. And and so you you have to become a real officer of the court. Well, you do that with a jury trial too, but but you have to. You know, you today we have people aggressive plaintiffs, okay, and aggressive defendants. A lot more uh, uh, angry, if you will, and and they don't like the process when they get in it either. That's the other thing they don't really like. They, you know, they may feel that boy, I want to sue, you know, and I want to get going, and I'll stick with it to the end. Well, two weeks or three weeks or two months in it, they don't want to be in it at all. But uh, I think you have to. Uh, 
I, I don't know. I think the lawyers that uh, I've seen some great lawyers too in our in our town that I've thought that that have have it. You have to have the ability to represent your client in a, in the best professional manner you can muster, and some guys and gals are good at that. And then therefore, and the court knows it, and and. So I, that's what I, I, I would say they're, they're lawyers with the best demeanor are the ones that get, even if, even if it doesn't win the case, it creates an atmosphere in the courtroom where everybody can sort of relax. And we have, so that, that's one area that I think, besides, you know, preparation and that, I, 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 I think most everybody realizes the basics. But in the courtroom, you have to remember you're in the courtroom. You, you know, uh, uh, Lyle Strom used to uh, make sure that I understood that I I couldn't go past the the bench. I couldn't get out of my chair and go up to the. He wanted to make sure that I understood that. And uh, and uh, Tom talking and reminded me that uh, I, I should be on time. I'm notoriously not on time. And uh, but I am I've cured myself of that because I showed up and I thought I, I I thought I was on time but I was two minutes off and and I walked in and he he was a magistrate judge federal system and he said uh, Mr Bradford was I see that you're late and I said well you're not your honor I don't think I I thought I thought it was no you're you're late now I want you to apologize to me first and then apologize to the counsel for the and in this day, I think there were three other lawyers and their clients there, and I had to apologize to every one of them by name. So, they, so they're just, you know. But little stories like that where I learned and, and appreciated that uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's, I, I, there's a, um, a method, a, a methodology uh, of, of, of the courtroom that, uh, that you have to be, be able to understand. And I think we've got some great lawyers in this town that do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what has helped you to stay so grounded and to be approachable and uh, be humble these years? Well, you're nice. I, uh, I, uh, I think it's, uh, I, I basically think it's probably my faith, if you want to, if, if you're asking me about those factors. Um, I have never felt, and I, I know this may sound corny, but I've known for, since I was 11 years old that I wasn't planted on this earth to do anything else but help somebody else. And so I found a ways to do that, and I still do. And uh, and that's just very straight. I can't say it any, you know. And and I have done that. I think all my life. What do you see the future of the law practice looking like? And you've talked about how you've seen it change. Can you predict what you expect it to look like in the future? Well, it probably won't change much from that I see in in, in the near future. Um, I I think the, pra the 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 education of going to law school 
which has already uh, allowed people to do on many other things in practice law, will continue. I, I, I think they'll find ways to curriculum and so forth to, to uh, have a broader curriculum and so people can do have other options. I think that uh, more businesses will hire in-house counsel. I think that it will, I, I would not be surprised as even small businesses had at, at least part-time or uh, so lawyers will be working for large, for corporate in corporate situations and government for gosh sakes is going to hire lawyers continue to hire lawyers in huge numbers just because of regulations and there's you know I, I think government is always going to be a big source of uh, job potential the the uh I think the large firm practice is going to suffer long term, largely because I think we have priced ourselves out of the business in large firms, and even this firm, we are, we, I can, well, I'll tell you a story if, 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 if we have time, but I, I've always been very, very cautious about fees and who can, what people can afford and if they can or can't afford. And I've been amazed at the amount of some fees, some of which I got, that, that, uh, that I, they were way over the top. And then I watched the, you know, some coach at Nebraska gets paid $300,000 to have somebody you know, play football. But my point is that, that uh, I, I think we've got to, we're going to price ourselves out of the, the business of giving, of practicing the kind of law that I practice today. And, if, and, and so we are going to institutionalize that practice in some way so people can afford it. I'm not so sure how that'll be, whether, whether we'll go to a panel system or where we'll go to an, where everything's in administrative law. I don't, I, but if, we, if we're not careful, uh, people just won't use us. They won't. I mean, look at. I'm I'm an arbitrator for the American Arbitration Association. I I I like arbitration. Don't misunderstand me, but it's the way it's going to happen. Arbitration is quick, cheap. Mediation quick, cheap. Those are going to be institutions that are going to continue to flourish. You're going to have alternative uh, resolutions spring up all over to the practice of law to particularly the trial practice. I see that because we have made it, we've made it so expensive. You know, you, I mean, I'm amazed at what it, even I, and I'm in the business. I mean, by the, you, if you're in a domestic relations case, which I, I do those too. I mean, I, I mean, if you take a deposition, you're crazy. I mean, because the cost of it, you, you, people come in and they, they want a divorce, but they don't want, to, they don't want it to be cost $10,000. So you have to, you, you know, I've stayed away from, uh, and I think a lot of us have, taken a deposition in a divorce case because of the cost. Now, maybe that's good. Maybe that's, we're becoming more efficient. But I, I'm, I worry about that. I mean, we're, we're uh, I, the business community, when I was started to practice law, the business community, they had, you could not, you could not have a, 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 dis, a dispute decided by anybody but a courtroom. 
and any and often a jury once went to a seminar where the defense lawyer said that if you were a defense lawyer and you didn't take a case to a jury it was malpractice malpractice Today, defense lawyers rush to mediation. I know they get fought it for a while, but not any longer because the, the guys with the yellow sh or green shades on have said, yeah, take it here. By the, the, we, the, we, can, we, can, we can work that out financially. But, uh, so I, I think it's going to change. We're going to be institutionalized or we're going to, have, we're going to lose it. Uh, what? What about... Oh, I did this. We did. We got that. We did this great show for uh, in the court on on artificial intelligence, where I was. I had to dress up and and I was the future. And uh, what 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 I learned was, you know, they're going to put all these facts into a machine. All these facts are going to be in a machine, and they're going to be able to put. The, the world is going to be all in this dat database, and so you're trying a lawsuit, and you take you have ten facts, you put it in. The other side puts in ten facts, it just spits out the result. That's artificial intelligence. Now that may not happen for us at some time, but as the population grows, as people want faster decisions and cheaper decisions, there there might well be willing to roll the dice. I remember reading an article in the Nebraska Lawyer probably 15, almost 20 years ago now, talking about the change in the practice of law that people have this, um, people being the clients, have a, more of a need for instant gratification. So having things like fax machines at the time, email, text messaging, that you're never really out of the office. Have you noticed that type of a change that people feel like they're in more of a hurry to, to have an answer? Absolutely. In fact, uh... I think that's their our whole culture. We we want instant we want our pain to end instantly. We want instant gratification. We want everything to be instant. You know, we don't even know the word sacrifice. You know, it's not not in our vocabularies because that that you know that we need we we want to be satisfied. Not and and. Uh, uh, we're in a we're in a cultural war with that with, with I don't want to get too carried away here but we basically have we have a culture that that is, and then we have a as human beings we are part of our culture we react to our culture and then in we I will maintain we all have a spiritual life every one of us. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care whether you're an atheist. You have a spiritual life, and you have this, and you have a cultural life. And the, this life is the spiritual side is getting get, getting kicked around because they, 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 people can't find their spiritual life, largely because uh, not because the culture culture is 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 attractive in some ways. In, in in decision making, you you might you might you might make a decision that we're, that's more of a cultural decision than a spiritual decision, and that's that's really the the what's at issue now um, in our lifetime. It, 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 and particularly for you, people in the United States, we've got everything in in real terms. I mean, people that are sitting in the Ukraine 
they, you know, their spiritual life is probably on a pretty high level, you know, because everything of their culture is being destroyed right around them. And any, everybody, they've lost faith in all of all the cultural signs. Well, that's pretty dramatic. But, but, in, but, but in our, in our society, as, as you just pointed out, we, we want everything satisfied now. We want it done. We want people like lawyers that service us to be able to do it quickly and be able to tell us how much it's going to cost. And, you know, we want to know where we stand and, and, uh, and it makes, and when you add the technology and the, and the, you know, the way that your client can communicate with you, it's, uh, it's interesting. And, and I don't, I, part, I, I, I want you to, I don't get on a soapbox like this you know, with a client. But if I get a chance, I will talk. If they ask, I will, I will tell them about what I think their, how their case might ha have a better result if they would, they would think about X, Y, or Z. I don't mean go to church. I mean think about what's the outcome. What's, what is their long-term goal? What, what, where do they see themselves at the end? Quit looking short-term. What is it, that, you know, w woman with a divorce? I, I want I want that that woman to be able to have her identity in full uh, recovery or at least uh, have her ability to have preserved her identity through the process. That's the long-term goal. Well, so that gets you into what I'm talking about. That had nothing to do with the law, except that's a vehicle of how to get there. But. Uh, uh, so you, you, you build those kinds of goals based on more of a spiritual qual uh, life than you do uh, necessarily a cultural life. In, in domestic relations, for sure, because you're dealing with children, you're dealing with issues that are long-term, and they are basically asking people to see life differently than you know, some tricky maneuver that a lawyer might make. And all of us in the... In the <laughs> In the domestic relations practice, know one another, and we all know what you know. It's, we all know what the tricks of the trade are, and who you, who you got to watch out for, and you know, it's 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 part of the deal. Let's talk about a couple of, of your war stories. So, um, tell us a story about some a case that you've been particularly proud of the result, or something that you know if you feel really is the the pinnacle of of your success as a lawyer. And then conversely, tell us about one that you had to learn a lesson a hard way. You know, I have to tell you uh, that you always remember the ones you lost, and you very seldom remember the ones you won. Um, the um, the one I the the case that I think I was the most proud of was a young man came into my office in, and he was a uh, corporal in the United States Marine Corps. And he had been in, uh, he, had, he, he had been in Vietnam and he had signed up for a two-year commitment and he wanted out of the Marine Corps. And he had served, he'd served Vietnam. And with, and with distinction, he had not, he had not, he, there wasn't anything wrong with him. And so I, uh, I, he convinced me that he was a conscientious objector, and I said, okay, I'll take your case. And we filed it in the federal district court, um, 
um, Judge Robert Denny was the, was the judge, former congressman, uh, tremendous person. And um, he was the judge. Um, the prosecutor was Sam Cooper, um, the Marine Corps hired him on special assignment. Uh, he was a, then a colonel in the in the Marine Corps and a prosecutor in the Douglas County Prosecutor's Office. And uh, J Judge um, Denny had been uh, in. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was. He, if he wasn't in World War II, he was in Korea. He was also a Marine Colonel. And so we had uh, three Marines and me, and I, I was washed out in the Marine Corps, if you remember. With yeah, with a double hernia. Uh, in, in, uh, and tried this case, um, and uh, Judge Denny um, uh, found that he was a conscientious objector, and he walked. That's probably the one I am probably the most proud of for a number of different reasons. Not only the result, but the client and the lawyers and judge I was in with. It was a tremendous trial. And, uh, you know, just, the ones I've lost, God, I, 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 I think I can tell this story without. Um, I once took a, a case, a personal injury case, and uh, where my client, my client's actually mother, uh, and her her husband were driving to Lincoln along Interstate 80. Two kids who were had been uh, on cocaine were driving east on Interstate 80, crossed the media and killed them, killed my client and her husband. And so I. I took um, took the case. I thought it was a slam dunk. This was going to be a walk in the park. And uh, but I couldn't get any settlement offer. And my client, frankly, had an, uh, because he was dealing with his mother, was saying to me, "No, I'm not going to accept this. I'm not going to accept this, and I'm not going to accept." We made we made a, a, a number of chances, but he wasn't going to accept anything. So we got, it was a jury case, and I left a person on the jury who was in uh, the insurance business. And I left on because I thought he, he would really understand what was going on, and I made a huge error, a huge error. And so I get the case, and I, I made a couple of errors here. I get, a, I get an offer from them finally at last and uh, to settle it for $200,000. And um, I, sh I should have taken the offer, but my client wouldn't take the offer, but I should have, I should have. In those days, if you looked at any charts and they said, what's a life worth? This lady was 64 years old. I mean, it, 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 liability wasn't the problem, but certainly damages would be. And I, so I, I I, uh, he insists that I turn it down, and I don't talk him out of it, and I don't. I should have talked him out of it. And not only that, uh, 
Teddy Carlson's the judge. I don't know if you know Theodore Carlson, but anyway, he and I played midget football together. I mean, that's how far back we goes. We were, we, we've known each other since we were 13 years old. So he looks at me and he says, Woody, take the dang that money. You know, don't, don't, yeah, take it. You know, and I said, I know. Well, and the, the other lawyer's standing there right, right with us, and he's just telling him, take the money. I can't, I can't, I can't get, I can't get him to take it. So we try the case, goes to the jury, and we get $50,000. And so there was a guy, the, there was a, and the, uh, the insurance man, as it turns out, and I was to find out later from, a, from another person that was on the, because I'd left a lawyer on the bench, on the jury too. And this lawyer had came, had, uh, I took him to lunch and he told me that in effect, he argued to the jury that there was no life worth $200,000. And so they started talking about what a life was worth. They got down to 50,000 and gave it to me. Uh, so I consider that that a, a loss because I blew it. You know that was one where I I I should have I should have talked my client into taking the money, but I should have been smarter about a jury selection because um, I I just should have recognized that. I, but I've had uh, I've had other ones that. Uh, I can tell another story if you want about it. You want another story? Personal injury case. Uh, guys at the, uh, it was the Red Lion then, but it, it's the Hilton. And they had a swimming pool there. And they had a big Pepsi machine next to, this, next, to this, next to the swimming pool. And he gets out of the pool and he goes in and puts his quarter in the in the uh, Pepsi machine. Unfortunately, the Pepsi machine has is is hooked up on a on a line that goes into the plug, but has frayed. Okay, so in fact, a charge comes out of that line, comes up the machine, goes through the machine, and into his penis. Oh my gosh! And. He, he becomes impotent, and he has, he's, he's, I think he's 32 years old. He's got a wife, he's got two kids, they live over in Iowa, and, uh, and actu actually, uh, we had an Iowa lawyer involved anyway, we, we came over, and we were in federal court because they were in two different states. And, uh, we tr we tried the case and and uh, Tom Culhane's on the other side and we have uh, uh, we we're going along and we have a very it, it's a case that is is going to you got we had to have a sympathetic jury that's what we had to have we didn't have a sympathetic jury you know that we weren't going to who cared well we had a lot of of evidence, scientific evidence of, of his loss of, of uh, stuffability is what they call it, believe it or not. And so he, he basically, that was what it, we, we had experts in and out and talking about it and, and they're talking about ways that, they, that they, he might uh, overcome it in, uh, with various devices and everything. 
and we were, I think, we were, I felt we were going to win the case. I thought, you know, uh, some ju juror might have come up and said, well, he shouldn't have put his quarter in the machine, but, uh, you know, and uh, so I, I uh, so, well, actually, the hotel got out. Pepsi was the one that was left. So uh, we had, as, as a uh, witness, his wife. His wife came in, and we put her on direct examination, and then we put her, and we were talking about loss of consortium and all it. And uh, then they cross-examined her, and when they, they, got, they got a little aggressive with her, and she just, she didn't get upset, she just sort of began to, to weep. And I looked over at the jury, and every woman was weeping. Three hundred and fifty thousand mm. dollars. So that you know that that that's that's one that I rem I remember distinctly. I won the one, one uh, because it was such a. Uh, I mean, I was, yeah. You know, it was just yeah. It's an, it's, a, it's an interesting story, but. Well, let's kind of circle back a little to some public service. You had a big role in helping bail out legal aid not so long ago. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what motivated you to do that? Oh, I was president of the Nebraska Bar Association at the time, and uh, legal aid was dis, uh, disenfranchised, I guess is the word, by the, by the uh, corporation in Washington, D.C. They told them that they, had, they, they no longer could practice law. And... Um, they they weren't given very many options, but one of the options that was given them is that uh, if they could make a deal with the Nebraska Bar Association to take over the legal aid, well, you can imagine the egos in that that thing. I mean, seriously, it was. And so I they I said okay, and uh, I said well I I. I I first need to uh, to meet with the, you know some people from the legal aid nationally, and have them tell me that, that, that what the mechanics are of this, so that we can I can take it back to the executive committee and we can look at it and see if that's something we want to do. I was very inclined to do it, I, so there was no doubt about that because I felt this was I, this was no accident that it happened at this time. So I. Uh, so he t told me, the wonderful guy, just a fabulous guy, he became uh, a United States attorney in Seattle. Uh, anyway, um, so we, what we had to do is take over the legal aid. And so you, you, you basically, you, you, you go into the legal aid office here, and you go in the legal aid office in Lincoln, and you find just tremendous people. And uh, they they weren't aware really that they were they, that they had broken some of the rules of, of, of uh, they weren't rules of practicing the law they just was rules of administration they didn't they didn't track things right they didn't you know they took cases that they probably shouldn't have taken uh, they they were just they 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 were finding their way so we we established a a, a plan uh, and there was there was difference in Omaha and Lincoln. Oh my 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 my! Uh, so I had to work that out. 
uh, they just looked they they looked at things differently, and uh, they had taken they had taken some or turned down some cases, and and Omaha had taken some cases that maybe th those decisions were were uh, questionable, but we we were able to uh, uh, we didn't lose anybody. All we did is. Uh, Make sure that every, that they understood that the bar association now was uh, in w was basically uh, taking over legal aid, and we would, were doing it to f so that they could come. We could come up with a plan of access that would that would allow legal aid to be restored in the state of Nebraska, and. Uh, and, and, and we were able to accomplish this through the goodwill of all, all the lawyers. Uh, but we were, uh, it, was, it, it really was not, I think, as hard as it's, it may, may sound. Uh, a lot of egos uh, that were hurt in the process because, you know, if, when you're a legal aid lawyer, you, you believe that you're doing the Lord's work and you're not... You're, to have someone come in and say, "Well, you know, not only that, you're going to stop unless you, this guy from that's running the bar association is going to come down and tell you how to do it." So I made sure that I didn't tell anybody to do anything more than than, than they were, you know, than they were doing anyway. It's just well, their organization had to change, and we they were cut off from money, so you you had to find a way to get to to get them through, uh, get, so they could have a salary. I mean, and uh, we found ways to do that. Uh, uh, I th and uh, then, and and everybody in the bar association, you know, I think was uh, was glad to be a part of it. We did we did change a lot of things about what, how they did things, but it was mostly administrative. And uh, but we we left them you know, in, in, with their egos intact, and I think, and, and, and functioned. But let me talk to you about a little about legal aid, just a bit. Um, legal aid today is so much bigger and better than it ever has been, and, and, and that, there's no mistake about it, the people that are running legal aid are incredible. And Appleseed was, is huge. Um, and Appleseed was, was came into into being, and uh, and organizations like that have made the made uh, the legal com community much better. And uh, I think uh, um, the 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 legislature. I remember, and this is one of the things we had to do. We had to get money from the legislature, and we went down to the legislature, and I think we asked—I can't remember exactly—but oh, it was a, a lot of money. But we told the legislature that the way we wanted them to pay for it is we wanted a surcharge on every action that occurred in the domestic relations court after the decree. So if you came in and you had to pay $10, $15 as a fee, to, 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 to bring an action post-divorce. And that netted so much money. It, it's amazing that it paid for what we needed to get, uh, get everything, legal aid up and running. And today it's still going. And it's, it's a big asset to the legislature itself today. So we got, 
we got that uh, uh, that in, and we also had a uh, a uh, the uh, I forget what we call it now. Um, it's still a, a, alive, but it, it, um, well, it was really that which over oversee uh, saw a lot of money going to legal aid and to legal aid causes. No, it was. It's. Uh, I want to um, accountability. It's. Uh, it's not accountability. It's. Oh gosh. Uh, anyway, I was on the committee. So, it, 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 and what we did is we we basically took. We were in charge of all the money that we raised in the legislature, and we 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 could give it to the various legal aids and various things, and that's how they got. They made it. Was the state bar kind of guardian over legal aid before it? it, it, it once it raised the money, and once it it got the legislature to agree on a mechanism, why, why they how they could in effect uh, fund legal aid, then we were out. Then these all these organizations then had their own independent way, and this commission. Uh, would determine their money, and that that uh, and they had to go before the commission every every year, and then that's 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 morphed into other things. Uh, it morphed in, for example, today uh, they they're the primary source of of uh, capital punishment. They defend those that are charged with murder. Oh, what is that called? The Yeah, there is another yeah. commission on justice or advocacy, ad, uh, advocacy commission. Yeah, it's the Commission on Public Advocacy. That's exactly it. Yeah. Well, that that commission was formed to 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 fund legal aid, and then began to fund capital punishment cases, and still does. Yeah, they still do. Yes. I think that's yeah. Their primary function is they put good lawyers on. You know, people who know their way around oh, the capital absolutely. punishment case. And I think they employ a couple or on staff. And then yes, they yeah. will do some contract-type case or, you know, get yeah, lawyers exactly. to come in for whatever. Yeah, the Commission yeah. on Public Ad Advocacy, that's right. <clears throat> yeah. That's awesome. So is there anything else that you would you want to tell your your kingdom here of OBA? <laughs> oh, you know, I... I'm, I yeah, the only thing I can uh, that I, I think that there are a lot of things I could share, but I can tell you this: if, if as a young as a young lawyer today, if you are practicing law in Omaha, Nebraska, you're in the best place you can practice law. I, uh, with all with all due respect, we have we've for a number of years we have had a fine judiciary, we've had first-rate lawyers practicing here. Uh, and, and and I you know in the in my practice I see a lot of judges and I see a lot of lawyers so uh, and I and and uh, I can say we're in a really good position here um, as far as offering legal services and and for uh, the administration of, of uh, justice um, so it's a very comfortable I think a very comfortable place to do business um, I don't think we've lost any of our passion in 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 many ways. Those of us that are are, are practicing uh, in this area, but uh, 
so I, I, I think I would, I would, uh, I, and I, I, I think it'd be a great place just to be. So if they are thinking about staying around, that'd be a good. And I, and I think Nebraska is, probably has a, um, you know, a a good good place to be um, for for lawyers. I but I happen to think that also, uh, um, I live in the Memorial Park area. And uh, I always have when I came back, I, and uh, and and that neighborhood has always been special to me. And it, it, so is Omaha. You get to, you get a comfort level regardless of where you are, and uh, so it's a good place to be. I, I don't have any questions, Judge. Anything else? No, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. I think this was a neat project that. No, I don't. Thank you for asking. Yeah, appreciate it.